Hello, and welcome to Sound Up Seattle. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined, as always, by my co-host, John Mother Lovin' Carey. <laughs> and this is your Seattle Sports Podcast, where we talk all things Seattle sports. This week, we've got some great, lovely, awesome football talk, and then some not-so-lovely, uh, <laughs> mediocre hockey talk, because we're not, super, dubious. Yeah, <laughs> we're not super excited about where the Kraken are at at the moment, but... Anything else to say, John, before we get into it? Just how excited I am to be, you know, sitting at the table again, across from each other. We missed each other, but looking each other in the eye. It's very intimate. Glad to be here. John, let's get the uh, the bad news out of the way first. Mm. Let's talk about our Seattle Kraken and their recent slew of poor performance. Poor performance. I was trying to think of a better word than poor, but there really isn't one. Yes. Um, so the caveat to this discussion is we are four games into the season. The season is very long um, and Hockey is a sport where teams are known to go on really big runs. It's not baseball. It's not uncommon to see a team win four in a row and then lose four in a row. Just kind of a streakier sport in that regard. With that being said, the start of this season has been horrible. The Kraken are 0-3-1, and the one was a loss in the shootout to the Blues. So we lost 1-4 to the Golden Knights, 0-3 to the Predators. We lost 2-1 in the shootout to the Blues. And we lost 1-4 to four against the Avalanche. Uh, Golden Knights and Avalanche, both good teams. Both expected to be good teams. You know, we can take that one on the chin. Predators and the Blues, not the games you want to lose sandwiched between those other two. So, yeah, I guess, you know, there's not a ton to say. Early days. So much of this team is back from the last year. I'm not, like, super concerned that this is, you know, the fate of the Kraken, just because we saw how good this team can be last year. Um, but yeah, a discouraging start, certainly. Definitely, yeah. And do you, would you think, we obviously watched that Vegas Knights game and Tanev had taken that hit, and we didn't really talk about it much. Mm. But since then, he's been ruled out for the last few games with, I think, a lower body injury. Um, and Tanev's obviously a pretty integral part of this team. He was pretty pretty big on the roster when we were in the playoffs last year. Do you think that has something to do with it? Just kind of the morale is a little derailed um, these, these first few games? I, You know, I would like to think so, yeah. We like Brendan Tanev. He's obviously one of our starting left wings. Um, he only played in the Golden Knights game, and I think it's very fair to say that that game was the best game the Kraken have played. Defending champ Golden Knights were very talented. We talked about that game afterwards. It was a 1-4 to four loss, but the game was much closer than it seemed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both pretty happy with the Kraken play. Um, and since then, yeah, it's been a lot more lack- lackluster. We have not scored more than a single goal in any game. That's worth noting. Yeah, We've scored 1-0-1-1. and one. That is bad. That is bad offensive hockey. It's almost like what I said in the first discussion after that first game about our offense being just a little off is still ringing true at the moment. And I think I told you to shut up when you said that, so <laughs> I would like to recant. 
Um, but yeah, we got, you know, Hurricanes, Rangers, Red Wings in the upcoming games. We could win all three of those games. I wouldn't bet on it with the way things are going right now. But uh, yeah, look for this team to turn it around, to kick it into gear, and uh, start making that climb up out of 500 and, and into some uh, positive hockey because we know they have it in them. Yeah. Is there any any concern with like, are they, this is their second season. I'm not dumbfounded right now. Third this is their third? third? I was going to say, is it their a sophomore slump? Their first season, slump? they were very bad. Yeah. I was going to say, is it a sophomore slump or is it, uh, it could it be something worse? But. You know, it could be a sophomore slump in a way just of like last year was their first year of success. Uh, and, you know, once again, these aren't all rookies. A lot of these guys came yeah. from good teams. We've signed some free agents from good teams. So it's not like none of these guys know how to handle success. But as a group, as a team, they're coming off a season of a lot of unexpected success. Um, not necessarily surprising to see them stumble over the first hurdle, just as they have to remind themselves that you know they had to work hard to get where they were last year. Um, that it wasn't necessarily expected based on the talent on the roster, that it was about cohesion and you know grit and moving the puck um yeah one goal a game is is really really bad i also don't like seeing four goals against us in both of our big matchups against the knights and the avalanche um yeah i'm not liking the way things are looking on either side of the ice right now but like i said give these guys a little time to gel shake off their their the rust and hangover of the offseason and I do expect good things in the near future. Yeah, I expect the offense to kick it up a notch pretty soon. Um, one thing I will note that's that's kind of a bright spot. Uh, Yamamoto had his first goal hey. uh, yesterday against the Avalanche, which was which was good. Like we said previously, we, he's kind of a he's a young, uh, scrappy guy who's pretty pretty small on the ice, but he's put, putting in that work, and it's obviously showing. He's getting he's getting good minutes um, and just putting in that yeah, work. Yeah, he is getting good minutes. We were talking about. He seemed to play a lot against the Golden Knights, and we weren't sure if that would continue, and it has. Kyler Yamamoto, if you didn't listen to the last podcast we talked about him, he was an offseason acquisition, 25 years old, 5'8", 153 pounds. He is slight. <laughs> um, but 25-year-old guy out of Spokane, Washington. Love our Washington boys on the pod. Um, and, yeah, got his first goal of the season. He has now scored through four games a third of the Kraken's goals. That's pretty incredible for a young player. So <laughs> little tongue in cheek there, but uh, exciting for him. And yeah, hopefully it keeps up the good play. We could use the offense. Yeah. Something, something to note for just from the avalanche game and what felt like something that we noted in the, in the Knights game, um, we had more shots than the avalanche. We had more hits than the avalanche and we had less penalty minutes. We were just not, uh, I guess putting the puck in yeah, the goal. We're not, doing, we're, we're not doing the finishing, which leads into another discussion that I'm sure we'll have about the Seahawks later. Um, but that's just something to note. If that continues, it feels like we're getting the stats that we need. And it's yeah. kind of like, you know, water comes to its level as John would say. Correct. Water <laughs> does reach its level. That's a good point. That's exactly what happened against the golden Knights. We were getting a lot more shots than them. Yeah. It speaks to just putting it where you need to put it. And it also speaks to maybe, Maybe we're sacrificing quality for quantity here a little bit. Maybe let's make Very that possible. extra pass to get them a more open angle on the goal. But regardless, I think that's all we really have to say. Yeah, Look we, ex- for good we expect to, them to improve. Obviously, yes. This is this is still the team we thought it was. Just give them a couple more games here before we 
press that big red button. <laughs> this isn't going to be like the Mariner season where we react every every two weeks no, to the Mariners no. losing or winning for three games. Look at how patient we've become. <laughs> <laughs> um, enough of that. Enough of that losing team nonsense. Let's uh, let's get on to the conversation you and I both really wanted to have in the game of the year in college football so far. Definitely. Uh, in Husky Stadium, the UW Huskies beat the Oregon Ducks 36-33, to including some late-game heroics that we'll discuss. Tyler, you were there, butt in the seat. Dude, I can't stop smiling while you're describing this. <laughs> <laughs> you said butt in the seat. That was not the case, man. I was standing the entire game. Good, good answer. Um. No, it was it was amazing. the The atmosphere was incredible. Every single down, it felt like the entire stadium was ready to cheer, and and that's something that you I've I've never been to a Seahawks game, and I feel like that's something that you would experience at a Seahawks game where the fans are in it every single defensive down. They're yelling as loud as they can. We I think we talked about potentially breaking the record. Uh, I don't think we did. There was like a an, an animation on the scoreboard thing that was showing like, Hey, we're barely breaking 130." And I wasn't sure if that was just like trying to get us to scream louder or if that was what was actually happening, but it definitely made us scream louder when we got close and man, it was, it was loud in there. I definitely almost, my, my eyes went red for a second there a couple times when I was screaming and could not breathe. Um, God, what a great game. Roma Dunze, Two touchdowns, eight receptions, 128 yards. Jalen Polk, six receptions, 118 yards and a touchdown, kind of continuing their amazing work. And then uh, somebody who came a little out of the blue and somebody who I want to talk about a little bit uh, in more detail is Giles Jackson. He had six receptions for 58 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and those are the only receptions he's had this entire season, which is crazy that he just kind of came out of the blue in our oh. sixth game against the number eight team in the nation and had – you know, a touchdown in almost 60 yards. That's a, that's a great first game to come out of. Um, but I'm talking yeah, too much. I'm, I'm monologuing. John, let's get your opinion. Yeah, please. <laughs> we all know who's allowed to monologue on this podcast. It's not you. No, that's great. You're right. He was very exciting. Love to see it in the first game. Big spot to put somebody in for their first college football game. Pretty impressive that he was able to produce. But, yeah, as you mentioned, this game is going to be remembered in my mind uh, as the Roma Dunze game. Um, Penix was good. We'll talk about some of the other contributors. But, you know, 128 yards, nothing we haven't seen from him. Honestly, a little low for what we expect from Roma Dunze in a given game. Two touchdowns, awesome. Worth noting, those two touchdowns, the last two touchdowns scored by the Huskies. Also worth noting, they were our only two touchdowns of the second half. Roma Dunze was responsible for all 14 points scored by the Huskies in the second half of that football game. Um, and both of them were nice catches. They were a 17 and 18-yard touchdown, respectively, the first and second ones. Um, both in stride, both great balls by Penix, where he was just got separation from the DB. And, you know, in that wonderful, wonderful zone of, like, you know, you're 20 yards from the end zone and you're like, okay, now this is going to get a little tricky, you know. We no longer have the whole top of the field to open up the defense and let us work on the interior. That's right when things start to get tricky for college football offenses. And I love that in both of those situations, the dudes, was like, nope, now. Hit me now. Um, so that was really awesome. Um, super back-and-forth game. Uh, 
it went touchdown, 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 field goal. Uh, at the end of the first half, we literally traded scores for the entire half. Um, and then they, yeah, we scored the first touchdown in the third. They scored back-to-back touchdowns to take the lead. And then we struck last and obviously the infamous missed field goal at the end of the game uh, to lose it for Oregon. <laughs> we'll have more to say on that as well. Um yeah, I guess let's. There's so much to talk about about this game. This was, in my mind, the best college football game of the year. It was really spectacular. Um, from a, a mile high view, tell me what your thoughts were on how UW as a team played against Oregon. I think they did kind of everything that we said that they needed to do last week. Um, it was funny. They said they were going to start McMillan, and we said McMillan would be a huge piece. And they started him in air quotes and proceeded to have him play for like two downs maybe and then took him out. And I think it was really important to get that early lead because it felt like he was a threat to Oregon, um, which was a really interesting coaching decision and really, really a cool, you know, cool way to pull that off. Um, Mile high view, it made Washington. Obviously, they jumped up to number five in the AP and coaches poll, which is is, BS. Yeah, blasphemy. We'll be able to talk about that after the game as well. the Oregon Ducks are a really good football team. And the fact that we could turn it up that high, it, I think it shows that we can, we can play with any of these teams. It doesn't feel like there's a an Alabama of 2015 or no, like a no. you know, Georgia or LSU back back a couple of years ago. Yeah, Georgia of last year even. We, we'll, we'll talk about the teams ranked ahead of us in a bit, but you are 100% right. I My main takeaway was almost identical to yours. Mine was like, damn, Oregon is a good football team on both sides of the ball. Their DBs are not as strong as I thought they were. Um, they did a good job pressuring at the line of scrimmage, but you know, as soon as Penix had four or five seconds in the pocket, he was getting those guys open down the field, which is what he wanted. You're right. They were doing exactly what they, we said they needed to do, which is keep the pressure on. If, with the exception of their two touchdowns between the third and fourth quarter back-to-back, every single time Oregon scored, UW responded. Um, and that was so big to keep this thing tight. I was really impressed with Oregon. Bonix was very sharp, 33 of 44 for 340 and two touchdowns, no picks. Um, and their running game yeah. was unbelievable. We'll talk about the UW running game, but their two running backs, Marquise Irving and Jordan James, they combined 33 carries for 190 yards and two touchdowns. They were averaging almost six yards a carry between the two of them. Um, really, really impressive that the UW defense got timely stops when it needed to because they were running the ball down our throats. And when they weren't running it, Bonex was being very efficient with his throws. Um, I can't remember if they've ha- they had any turnovers that entire game. Do you remember if they turned the ball over at any point? I don't think there were any official turnovers. Or UW had one interception, but Oregon never turned the ball over. They played a super clean game. Um, no fumbles. It was really just like, it's not that Oregon didn't play better. Obviously, we won, and yes. it was a great game. But I think they, they were much cleaner. Yeah, I guess, yeah, you say no turnovers. That's correct. No interceptions or fumbles. They did have a couple controversial turnovers on downs. Very true, very true. Um, particularly in the third quarter is where those happened a little more dramatically. Um, and, yeah, yeah, not a lot to talk about there. Some questionable coaching decisions, but... The Oregon coach is, is pretty aggressive, so uh, not necessarily surprising there. But, yeah, in terms of, you know, 
keeping your hands on the ball, they did do a good job of keeping keeping it and playing clean. Their defense looked solid. They weren't really able to pressure Penix that much. Speaks to the UW offensive line, which was very good. They were that's how they were that's how they were getting after all these other teams before us. They were getting after the quarterback. I was very pleased with what I was seeing in terms of protection. Um, but they just did what we were afraid they might be able to do, which is just keep the pressure on us by continuing to play efficient offense. And yeah, as you noted, you dub a little cleaner down the stretch, a little more efficient hit those big plays when we needed to and pulled it out. Um, Penix was really solid. 22 of 37, 300 yards, four touchdowns and a pick. Not his most efficient game. Didn't eat up yards the way he has in previous games. Love seeing the four touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pick was at the end of the first half, kind of just like taking a shot. So it wasn't anything substantial. It was not devastating. Um, it wasn't great, but it was not devastating. And then rushing game, Johnson was 20 for 100 yards and touchdown, five yards of carry, quite efficient. Um, so, yeah, you know, in general – Oh, I guess and we had a fumble too. Oh, yeah, but we didn't, didn't lose, lose it. it. Yeah. Good call. Good call. Didn't lose it. So yeah, Johnson had the fumble, but did not lose it. So yeah, I guess great flipping win. That was amazing. We talk about rankings and schedule next. Is there anything else you wanted to say on the game itself? Oh, we have to talk about the kick. Oh, I have so many, so many more things to say. Okay, about yeah, let's yeah. say we, we've kick. got save we've got kick. plenty of things to talk yeah, about. Feed me, uh, Roma Dunze. You were saying he got separation on those two touchdowns that he had. I actually would disagree. He was just like shoving the corner, just like down and just like running. Penix just threw the ball and was like, "Hey, Rome, you got this." Like it's it's your your six three two twenty body against some six foot corner who was playing a really good game, all things considered. He made Adunze work for most of it, but the two touchdowns in that second half. We're just like, hey, our guy is bigger and better than your guy, mm. and let's let's throw it to him. And he's and he obviously converted. That was really cool to see from Adunze, just like him asserting his dominance as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, he was using his combination of size and speed very effectively. Yes, six three, big guy. Yeah, I was gonna say, he people are talking about him like working into that Marvin Harrison Jr. conversation. Like I know, uh, I know he's supposed to be like the guy. Yeah, but I, I really haven't heard much about him besides the fact that he's the next receiver. And maybe, you know, draft stock-wise, yeah. Harrison's going to go before Adunze. But Adunze is going to be the second receiver picked out of this class. That is that is quite possible. There's a kid out of LSU. I'm not thinking of his name, but he's very highly regarded as well. Um, Adunze, in terms of the measure measurables, is is up there probably number one. He's 6'3", 215 pounds. He's fast. Um, he can jump. Uh, he is an awesome receiver. I do see him being a really solid NFL receiver as well. You don't want to start comparing guys to Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe. I don't know much about him. You yeah, might have to. He's give just me that, like he's just details, but he's how you just like build a receiver in the lab when you want an awesome receiver that's also going to play like 15 years. When you make an NFL my player or whatever it is, he's, <laughs> he's just so ridiculous. He's just he's a really solid athlete. He's not not special the way that Rome is. But what he is is just the smartest receiver since his dad and just an incredibly sharp and defined route runner with unbelievable hands um, and, you know, good speed, quickness, laterally. That's one thing about Rome. Rome's 
Rome is much more of what DK was when he played at Missouri. Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Um, where he he was deadliest running straight lines down the field. And that's valuable in the NFL too. And yeah, as you're saying, it's physicality, it's his big body, it's all these things. But, you know, Marvin Harrison's the guy that is going to step onto an NFL field and immediately be ready to go. Hmm. Well, there's. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I said that. I'm saying that Twitter has you're, said these you're things. You're reporting it. No, that's yes. Roman forty receptions through six games, seven hundred and fifty yards, six touchdowns. He's on pace for fifteen hundred yards and twelve touchdowns. Take like, take a bow, young man. That's he's, he's that's awesome. incredible. And you're and you know what you really are right about is that. Before the season started, he wasn't in the top five receivers Mm-mm. going to the NFL. He's top three now. So um, credit to him, all his hard work. Keep it up. It's been great. Yeah. Um, God, and we're doing all this without McMillan, which is which is even crazier. Um, one guy I do want to point out again is Giles Jackson. Obviously, I said he had a great game. Uh, and I don't know that it was very obvious if you were watching on TV, but – when we were watching the stands, everybody was super confused because this is Giles' first full game where he's playing the entirety of it. And he looked confused out there. He looked like a lost guy. There was a lot of plays where it was like he was not lined up in the right spot in the offense. Like Penix looked frustrated with him a couple times. And he would, you know, he was he was great at getting those curl routes when we needed a first down or something like that. Um, but he did, we didn't lose, you know, a timeout or two just because of how he was doing. We had a, I think we had a, two, one or two delay of games just because he wasn't in the right spot and everybody's frustrated with, with it or not, you know, not frustrated with him, but Penix well, is trying to get things in order. Frustrated with him. That's, That's it's, his, it's his first game. He's playing against Oregon. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no worries. Um, but yeah, he, he looked a little confused out there at certain times and it was just one of those things that I noted that I think the further we get into this season, the more reps he gets, yes. the better he'll be. Um, as we get to those those bigger games that are not Arizona State. <laughs> sure, sure. And, you know, um, with McMillan out, we needed somebody to step into that third receiver role, especially against a team like Oregon. Mm-hmm. You can't just do it with two guys. Rome and Polk were both awesome. We, did, we haven't met, mentioned much about Jalen Polk, but he was awesome in this game too. 120 yards and a touchdown, you know, averaging 20 yards a carry. He was actually more of a big play threat than even Adunze was. Mm-hmm. So um, they are both absolute rock stars but uh, Jackson Charles Jackson was huge stepping into that third receiver role to keep the pressure off the other two um yeah um I was asked by a friend today to make sure that we talked about the injury that happened on the last drive yes. by Oregon yes let me off the chain it's time <laughs> before we get into the missed field goal obviously we can just talk about the last drive I guess but yes uh Let's break it down. So credit to Oregon. When Adunze scored his touchdown with a minute and 38 seconds left, I was honestly a little frustrated that he didn't go down at like the three. Yeah, I was a little concerned too. Um, Just because we did need the touchdown. Um, We were down four. Mm -hmm. So I understand getting into the end zone because nothing's guaranteed. But with what an offensive spectacle this game had been, I would have almost trusted our offense to eat some clock and then put it in more than I would trust our defense to get the stop. That we did have that uh, turnover on downs at like the one yard line that we that we had That's previously a, in the in the half. Excellent point. That's yeah. an excellent point. But um, anyway, my concern was that they were going to drive down the field and score, yep. and immediately they just start moving the ball after the kickoff. 
completion for three yards, completion for five yards, completion for 12 yards, completion for five yards. They, they didn't have an incomplete pass. Bo Nix was really running the field. Correct. So, yeah, they, they, they literally did not have a, an incomplete pass or a run for negative yardage until the infamous catch that we're about to talk about. But uh, with 23 seconds left, Bo Nix hits the tight end Terrence Ferguson for a 15-yard uh, catch on third and four. It was a huge play. Put him smack dab in healthy field goal range. Um, and there's 23 seconds left. So, no timeouts. Yeah, Oregon's going to – no, no, Oregon had their timeout. Mm. That was important. Um, so it's like, okay, Oregon's going to have to use their last timeout here. Um, I guess, no, they got the first down. So it's like, okay, they're going to have to either call the timeout here or take one play and then probably take call the timeout there. But Terrence Ferguson goes gripping at his knee. Now, Which knee was it? Now that's a great question <laughs> because if you look at it closely, it sure looks like he grabs one knee and then rolls and grabs the other knee. Which may indicate that maybe there wasn't much wrong at all. It's also worth noting that after he writhed on the ground for a minute or so, he jumped up and scampered off the field and looked pretty good. Um, so a lot of people have chalked that one up to gamesmanship. Now the reason that's really important is because they still had one timeout, Oregon was not charged a 10-second runoff for the injury timeout on the field. But they also don't make them use their timeout. They basically just give them a free timeout, which is ridiculous. Um, it was gamesmanship, but it was also bad karma. Uh, they used that extra time they had to throw two incompletions and then ended up kicking anyway uh, and missed the 43-yard field goal attempt uh, and did not tie the game. We did not go to overtime, so... I think it was a total BS play by the tight end. If it was my tight end, I'm sure I would be proud of him. Yeah. But can we just stop faking injuries, please? Don't make this into soccer. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Actually, I'd take that back. I would not be proud of him if it was my tight end. They had the timeout. Like, if they needed to... It's not like that was a game-saving fake injury. It's like, that's just pure to give yourself one more play. Yeah. It's dirty. I don't like it. Yeah. No, I... (laughs) When that was happening... um, all the all the UW fans in the stadium like were in were unsure about whether to be upset and boo or <laughs> whether to uh, or what to do. And then eventually we kind of just did it. And a couple of our buddies were like, "Hey, that's kind of like bad yeah. on the UW fans." And yeah. then we were all like, after the game, we were like, "Man, screw that dude!" Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I got a couple of those texts like, "Oh, where's the sportsmanship?" It's like, watch the replay, man. This guy is not hurt. I'm not buying it. He, he literally walked off the field after the game, and there was, like, video clips of him being like, oh, it's he was fine. Yeah. It's also worth noting, and I hold by this, I guess, not as the same as in the NFL, but even in college. These guys are getting, getting often full-ride scholarships to go to school. They're getting great deals. Um, if they're gripping a knee or an ankle, and it wasn't, like, a Nick Chubb-style, like, horror show... I don't feel awful for college football players. I just don't feel that awful if it's like, oh, he twisted his ankle. I still reserve the right to boo your ass, man. You're getting a full ride. There are people paying $50,000 a year. If somebody, like, gets hit in the head and they're lying on their back on the field, I'm not going to boo them. But if they're grabbing an ear and ankle and nothing dramatic happens and it's a huge spot, I reserve the right to boo. There's also one of those plays where, like, he got tackled and then every single UW guy just like ran away from him as soon as he hit the ground because he like rolled over 
and UW was like, we didn't do any anything bad. Like, Clearly, it literally like if you watch the tackle, some guy like tip like hits him, and then he like kind of rolls over like he's yeah. like doing a barrel roll or whatever. It was so dumb. Clearly, it was like, nothing. If yeah. anything, it would have been a non-contact injury. And if it had been, I think he would have known which knee it was. <laughs> Yeah, just we wanted to vent our frustration about that dude because because yes. if that that could have that could have made the game for them. It's worth noting too. It's like oh, missed field goal, lucky. It's like no, it was a forty-three yard field goal. That's a hard kick in college football. That is a hard kick. Mm-hmm. People miss forty yarders all the time. If Oregon would have hit like a fifteen-yard pass, that would have been huge in making that field goal more realistic. So the fact that he did that dirty play to get an extra play could have had huge ramifications on the outcome of the game. So screw that guy. I'm glad he's okay, but I'm glad they missed the kick. Let's go dogs. <laughs> go dogs. Okay. That's enough about the actual game. It was an awesome game. I want to talk to you a little bit just about UW situation. So I guess first things first, let's look at the rest of the schedule for UW. That was a huge win. Uh, our next ranked opponent is USC in three weeks. We've got Arizona State and Stanford in the interim. Yep. We then play USC, who's currently 18, Utah at 14, Oregon State at 12, and then finish up with the Apple Cup against Washington State. So that's, you know, that is a tough end-of-the-year schedule, especially finishing with a Washington State team that, while unranked, was ranked they were 17, 13 at one point. point. Um, so that's a talented team. We'll, we'll need these two Arizona State and Stanford games to – Recoup. Rest and recover, yeah. <laughs> no, hopefully, watch, now we're going to lose one of those. But those are both should be very, very winnable. With that being said, with that Oregon win and with the way that USC has looked defensively, I think there's a really good chance UW finishes undefeated through the regular season of Pac-12 play. I think there's a really good chance. I think we're USC is Oregon with a way worse defense. Utah is Oregon with a way worse offense. Oregon State is a better version of Oregon. That's the one I'm worried about. <laughs> <It'll be easy. laughs> um, and then, we're, you know, we've been owning Washington State for a decade. So what do you think about the rest of their season, and what do you think about their chances of running it? Um, okay, breaking down, I guess we could maybe talk about this week's game. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more afterwards. But Arizona State's should be a cakewalk. Correct. Um, they're one and five, worst team in the Pac-12. Mm. Stanford, I think, is also one and five, but has Second lost by less. Team in the Pac-12. <laughs> <laughs> Better losses. So Stanford's not good. This, yeah, this USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State stretch is going to be tough. But I agree. I'm not as scared of USC. I think Caleb Williams is. I I kind of think he's like mailing it in. Like I don't feel like he's trying nearly as hard to be the Heisman candidate to be the number one pick and it you know could be because it's going to be the bears or whatever that team is i think he's worried about that um but he also this is kind of weird but it's like the nil money that he's making like he's already rich and he could play another year and still make a bunch of money and not have to be drafted by one of these bad teams i don't think he's really worried about it like he's i saw this thing where he's trying to make a deal to like become part owner of whatever team drafts him which is not allowed no, absolutely um, not. Like, I think he's, I think he's like really in it for the money right now, and it's just not a great look for him. Um, and I think USC is not not thriving the way that they were at the start of the season. Obviously, they're still six and one or whatever, but it just doesn't feel like they're as tough as they were. Um, Utah, like you said, I think is 
Oregon with a way worse offense. They obviously, I think they can run the ball decently, but I don't yes. think their quarterback's good. No, He's been injured. No, no. Um, they've got a good defense. Yeah, they've got a good defense, but we obviously just showed that we could pick apart any defense that is Correct. put in front of us. Gosh, man, I can't believe how easy we made it look against Oregon. But once again, props to the Oregon offense for keeping it tight because I was really happy with the way they looked. Yeah. Um, Oregon State, not a better version of Oregon, but I think a little bit worse in both categories. Correct. And not yeah, a, a more same. balanced team than those yeah. other two. They can play on both sides of the ball. They don't have the passing game that mm-hmm. Oregon does. Their running game is arguably the best in the Pac-12. Yes. Uh, their quarterback, and then they have two backs that can all really run the ball. So uh, that'll be interesting. It'll be, it'll be tough. I think their quarterback was the, the Clemson transfer, right? And so mm-hmm. people were expecting a lot from Oregon State. And obviously they've shown it. They're the third highest ranked Pac-12 team right now. Yeah, six and one. Um, one loss, one very close battled loss to Washington State, who was 21 at the time. Yeah. Um, so I'm expecting that to be a tough game. Uh, we might go down there, man. We might go down to Corvallis, see how that, see how that could go. Twist my arm. Um, and then the Washington State game, it's just, it's Washington State at home. It's going to be yeah, I a almost, tough game. I almost but, hope we lose one before then, because if we're undefeated going into that game, I just know we're going to lose. They're, they're going to send everything at us. They're going to go for the knees. Yeah, it's going to be... <laughs> you double be number two in the country, and Washington State will beat us in the Apple Cup to ruin our CFB chances. I love to hear it. Um. But yeah, overall, very. I, you know, I'm never going to say it's assured that we're going to no, be no, undefeated. But I give us a sixty percent chance, like a greater than half half percent. I I think I'd say right around fifty fifty. I think the last four games are so tough that the odds of us losing one of those is about fifty percent. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, we'll talk about this in a little bit in the rankings. But I don't think one loss would keep this team out of the football playoff. Yeah. Um, one, just one last note. I think you nailed it on those teams. One thing I'll say about USC and Caleb Williams, it's not the situation it was last year. Caleb Williams is still hyper-talented, and he's still going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, but his offensive line isn't what it was last year. He lost Jordan Addison, who went to the Minnesota Vikings, and I think when he got drafted, we all kind of thought, oh, he's just Caleb Williams' guy. He has been awesome on the Minnesota Vikings, particularly after Justin Jefferson went down. Um and I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, it's kind of like the Belichick-Brady situation, like, you know, which of these guys is contributing more to the success of the team. Caleb Williams is still awesome, but he does not have the weapon in Jordan Addison on this year's team that he did last year. And I think it's part of the reason that he's struggled is the wrong word. He's been very good. He had an awful game this last week, but I expect him to shake it off. Yeah, I think, I mean, Notre Dame's good. They played Notre Dame this week, right? Correct. Yeah, they I think smacked. They yeah, smacked. But you're right; they are good. And once again, USC's offense not my concern. They cannot stop a high school JV team on defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all that is to say, we're we're excited for the Heisman conversation between Penix and Williams Looking when that better. game comes around. Looking better, yeah. Penix only threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns, but he didn't throw three picks, so that's something to look, look forward to. But Okay, yeah, we're really eating up time on UW here, so. Yeah, let's – do you want to quickly break down Arizona State-UW? I think I think we're going to win. I think it's going to be a cakewalk. I don't really think there's much else to say. I don't think there is at all. I, what I want to talk to you about quickly is the AP Top 25. Yes, I just wanted to see if you had any other thoughts no. besides Arizona State. Game. We're going to crush Arizona State. If we lose that game – We don't deserve to be in the Top this, 25. This will be the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, 
We are currently ranked number five, which we both think is a little bit preposterous. Above us is Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Florida State, respectively. All those teams are undefeated. Now, here is where it gets a little bit interesting. Georgia, number one team in the country, their best win was against, at the time, I'm getting these rankings at the time of the game, number 20, Kentucky. And it, you know, it was a good win. They've looked on and off pretty shaky. Honestly, I'm surprised to see them at number one. I don't love the, well, they won last year, so let's just leave them at number they, one yeah, this year. And they haven't lost. You they can't go down. To, but... yeah, you kind of just have to judge what you see on the field. Yeah. Um, so I actually, Georgia deserves to be in the top four or five. Obviously, the number one, like, if we play Georgia, I don't think we would be favored in that game. But I do think their performance hasn't earned them the number one spot, maybe two or three. Um, Michigan at number two does not have a win against a ranked opponent. They're undefeated. They haven't played anybody. The fact that they're number two in the nation is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. That one actually bugs me. Ohio State is three. Their best win was against number nine at the time, Notre Dame. Um, That was a good win. We just saw how talented Notre Dame is, so I'm not going to beat up on them too much. And then FSU, their best win, was the first win of the season against number five, LSU. LSU has since plummeted down all the way to... Are they even in the top 25? Yeah, they're 19. Um, So maybe that win wasn't quite as impressive as we thought it was. Um, I'm a little surprised to see them over us as well. I I think it's a little bit of Pac-12 bias. I'm a little frustrated by it. Good news is Michigan-Ohio State, that shit's going to figure itself out. (laughs) Big 10 football at its best. Both of them still have to play number nine, Penn State? Seven. Whew, number seven, Penn State. And then they play each other to end the year. So um, at least one of those teams will have a loss. Both of them could have a loss if Penn State takes one of them down. One of them could have two losses. So um, assuming we finish the regular season, we'll see. We will hop one of those teams to be in the top four. Obviously still with conference playoff to go, but... Um, just to be in that position where it's yours to lose will be very important. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida State will play Duke, who I believe is 16, next week. We'll see how real they are then. Uh, and Georgia has a very tough end of the year. They'll play three top 25 opponents, kind of like us, to end their year. So give them a chance to prove it as well. That's kind of an overview of where things stand. It's almost like the Big Ten has set up their team so that they can all go 6-0 and and look really good at the start of the season so that when they play each other, it makes the wins look better. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, wow. Who could imagine? I, we really can't complain too much because us and Oregon were 7-8, and eight and we are now 5-9. and nine. Like It's not like Oregon plummeted to like 16 after they're, that loss. They're the two best teams in the Pac-12. They're the two best teams on the West Coast. They're the two best teams west of... Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that might be. I think Michigan's to the west of, of Atlanta, Georgia. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> You're all cut up. Um, anyway, both of us think it's ridiculous that they're five. After that win, they should jump. Michigan should not be at two. Michigan should be at five. They haven't played anybody. They haven't earned the number two spot. I personally, being completely unbiased would probably go Ohio State, Georgia, UW, Florida State, Michigan. I think Ohio State and Georgia both have good wins, and they both had the pedigree going in, and they're both undefeated. But the fact that Michigan is currently ranked two 
grinds my gears. So uh, that's where I'm at. Also, <laughs> you you called this out before our meeting. Absolutely ridiculous. In the coaches poll, oh, you yeah. tell it. Tell the people. I'm not stealing your thing. Yeah, dude. So I was talking with our buddy at the game, and I was like, man, you see that Alabama just beat Arkansas by three points. It was 24 to 21. Yeah. I bet you they're going to jump up in the rankings. Yeah. So they're, for the record, they're 11 in the AP. They did not shift after this week's win. Yes. They barely beat Arkansas. Barely. Arkansas, Arkansas is two and five. Two and five. Arkansas is bad. They won 24 21 or something like that. Yeah. And Alabama has moved up in the coaches' poll to number eight. <laughs> What are we doing? That is so It's ludicrous, bad. dude. Alabama has been a clown show this year. The fact that they're 11 is pretty generous. Um, they have had a couple very near losses to very bad teams. Mm-hmm. If Washington beats Arizona State by three points next week, I'll have to swallow my words. I'll take it all back. But I don't think that's going to happen because UW's a talented college football team. It's absolutely ridiculous the respect that Alabama's getting this year. They're bad, and I'm not scared of them. If we made the college football playoff... I, I would bet on UW to win. Oh, no, no, yeah, if we made the college football playoff and we got to play Alabama in the first round, I would be jumping for joy. That would be amazing. It's like, I would rather play Alabama twice and have to beat them both times than play any of the other teams in the top eight. That's what I think of Alabama. Yeah, no, I agree. God, yeah, and so the coaches poll has like the highest and lowest votes that they received. Somebody voted them as number three in the nation, John. Uh, that is so disgusting. <laughs> For the record, the highest vote UW received was five. The highest vote after beating Oregon. Yeah. That's absolute. Nobody nobody thinks we're number two. Except except Robert Griffin III. He has Georgia and then UW. Okay, well, it should <laughs> obviously be only Robert Griffin. <laughs> just absolutely, it's just so ridiculous. How does no... No team in college football has looked by any means like a like an unstoppable force this season. How has nobody put UW in the top four? And but they put Alabama at three. Disgusting. It doesn't make sense to me. Disgusting. That's just like and I'm sure we'll get into this at some point in the future. This isn't something we need to talk about right now, but the like SEC bias in, in college football is it's gross. Insane. It's gross. Great year, great year for SEC haters, and and we're enjoying it. We're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that was <laughs> we can <laughs> we can take a breather on that college football discussion. Yes, that was what like forty minutes on it. Yeah, we are we are in deep. So we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Seahawks little value dogs. We'll wrap this baby up. This episode is brought to you by Tuscaloosa brand hair cream. Do you want to look unbelievably attractive to people in sports media? Just rub a little Tuscaloosa hair cream between your locks and they will suddenly be crawling at you from all directions. (laughs) Tuscaloosa hair cream, the very best in the state of Alabama. Okay, John. Let's switch up the order a little bit. Um, let's talk value dogs. I know that people want to hear about the Seahawks, but we want to talk about our value dogs. All right, man. Hey, well, I'm not going to argue with you. This is how we get people to keep listening to the pod. We, we bring up the fun segments that we do. That is, that's totally fair. Um, good week last week on value dogs. Yeah. Both of us went two and one. We're killing it. Um, what, did, what did we share? We both had commanders plus one and a half against the Falcons. They won. Mm-hmm. No surprise there. 
Um, who did? Oh, you had the Browns plus. Yeah, nine. yeah, yeah. Read it off your read it off your list. But plus six of the time against the Niners, they ended up winning without Deshaun Watson and the upset of the year. They were my. Uh, they were my. Say it. Say it. <laughs> rancid dog of the week. And that was when they still had their starting quarterback, and they still covered the spread. So I owe you an apology. Um, you were right about the Browns. And I had the Texans plus two against the Saints, and they also won. Worth noting, all three of the value dogs that we shared. Or I guess, oh, no, I'm sorry. Then we both had a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, who did I have that didn't cover? I had the... Did you have the Seahawks against the Bengals? No, I think it was the... I don't think I took the Cardinals again. No, I had the Panthers. I had oh, the Panthers. Panthers plus yeah, yeah, 14. And then I must have had... Oh, I had the Colts against the Jaguars. They did not cover either. Um, so we both went 2-1. and one, But of our three combined wins, all all three covered and won, like we said before. So interesting. Yeah. Do, you want, do you want me to read my, my notes that I made from about the, the wins and covering the spread? Please. So we said last week the underdogs that covered were... Six out of seven of those, or six out of seven of the games that they covered were wins as well. Uh, this week, only five underdogs covered, but four of those five were wins. So this further proves that kind of what we've been talking about, that in order for an underdog to cover, it feels like you have to think that they can win that game, um, which I think is something that, you know, I even said last week that I had kind of zagged against. But it's just it's kind of how we're feeling and, and kind of how the football's going. It's like, yeah. hey, if we're gonna lose this game, screw it. Let's lose by twenty five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. That is totally fair. Uh, on the year, you want to read out our totals? Yeah, yeah. So I am back up to about five hundred. I am seven and eight after going two and one last week. John is feeling a hot streak mm. at the moment. He is nine five and one mm. after three and zero oh, two weeks ago and two and one this last week. Um, Nine, yeah. five, and one people. That's might want to start following John's lead. That's double the value of your input. Not even to mention if you're actually just betting on the teams to win. Gosh, I'm making somebody a lot of money. It's not me. It's not me because I'm betting it's one on of the, one of our eleven subscribers. Because I'm betting on the 49ers <laughs> instead of my own value dogs, and I'm losing money. But uh, yeah, pretty hot. I guess you know as the continuing defending champ, what we tied, but I'm still up. I'll give you first crack. Give me first crack this week. All right, John. I don't take. Mine. I'm looking at this line, and I'm just wondering, hey, why is this team going to lose? What's going on here? Mm. This team is the best team in the NFC North. Ah, you rat by far. Yeah, and they're playing a team that is three and two, and not very. Or I guess they're four and two, but they haven't shown any signs of life. They just lost a game and only scored ten points a couple weeks ago. The Detroit Lions are plus three against the Ravens. What are yeah. we doing? That's that's an obvious value dog. Yeah, it is an obvious value dog. And I also have Detroit Lions plus three against the Ravens. We're in agreement on that one. Um, I think it's the obvious one of the week. Yeah. Um, almost suspiciously obvious. Detroit has looked really good. Their offense is one of the best in the NFL. And their defense comes up with big plays. You can move the ball on them, but they come up with big plays. So. Mm-hmm. I really like Detroit. I like Detroit to win. This Baltimore team has been hot and cold. Um, they did win this week, 24-16 against Tennessee. Tennessee's not very good. Um, 
They, Detroit, Detroit's like Miami light. Like they're scoring 35 points a game. Detroit is like Miami light. That's a good way of describing it. Detroit is Miami with a worse offense and a better defense. But uh, yeah, they're just way better offensively than the Ravens are. And then defensively, pretty close, pretty close. Ravens, you can score on the Ravens. So um, I don't understand why it's plus three. Yeah. I also like them at plus three. Um, okay, well, that's a hell of a pick. I'll jump to my number two option then. Um, yeah, shoot. Okay. And, yeah, with my pick, I'm going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars plus one. Man, you cannot quit the AFC South. I can't. I'm addicted. <laughs> plus one against the New Orleans Saints. Um, I like that. The only reason that this line is plus one is because Trevor Lawrence is currently questionable to play. Mm-hmm. Um a couple things. One, he's questionable. So if he plays, and if you get this value at Jaguars plus one, that is just easy. It's just easy money. The Jaguars are a really solid team that are kind of hitting their stride offensively these last couple of weeks, and the Saints are a poopy team that's bad on both sides of the ball. So the fact that you can get them plus money is ridiculous. Now, if Trevor Lawrence doesn't play, Trevor Lawrence has been pretty mediocre this year. I don't even know who their backup quarterback is, but I would take whatever backup quarterback they have and Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and Travis Etienne and this talented offense over a beat-up Derek Carr and the corpse of... of, uh, Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. And what's their running back? Kareem... uh, Kamara. Kamara, Alvin Kamara. Um, So I do not like the Saints. I don't like them really on either side of the ball. I think Jacksonville's defense has been looking sharper, and I think their offense is really hitting its stride, particularly ETN in the running game, which, you know, he doesn't need Lawrence to be there. So I really like Jags plus one. Yeah, I would say if Lawrence doesn't play, I think ETN gets, you know, 45 carries next week. Like, it's going to be it just the ETN show. Our buddy's going to go up, you know. Could have him in fantasy. 100 points in fantasy. It's going to be a great <laughs> week for him. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I agree. I think the Jags are a good pick at plus one. My only concern is the Lawrence injury, which obviously, like I just said, I don't, I'm not super, super concerned about that, but the Jags just have this weird juju about them that I'm like, eh, I don't know that I could have them winning three games in a row. Ever. Sure. Sure. Like, it's just, I, that's I can't very, see it. <laughs> that's very reasonable. That's very reasonable. Um, all right. I guess I'll just take my, my second pick and listen, I'm going, I'm, I'm headhunting the big boys this week. Huh. I have this team who has a very potent offense against another team with a pretty potent offense. Um, And I'm going to say that for my next two picks, I'm sure. Um, The Dolphins plus two and a half against the Eagles. Yeah. I know. I knew you were thinking about it, but I didn't think you had it. I don't think. I'm not going to take it. I was, I was on the fence, but I don't want to share it too. I'll give it to you. Yeah. Um, I think the Dolphins are really good and can score 40 points in a game. Like, I'm not super worried about the Eagles cornerbacks. Like, Tyreek Hill can get by them. They'll have Jalen Waddle back. Mostert was amazing last week with A-Chain out. Like, I don't think the, the Dolphins' offense is really going to be that slowed down besides the fact that the Eagles' line is much better than most other lines in the NFL. Uh, but I think what it's going to be is they're just going to have to run quicker, like, slant routes and just have Tyreek crossing the field and taking 10 yards. Like yeah. it's, it's going to be chip, 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 kind of like what, what we've seen UW do. Correct. Um, and I just, I don't think the Eagles can keep pace. Their offense hasn't looked very substantial the last few weeks. No, no. Um, 
Yeah, so I have the Dolphins plus two and a half, but I actually think they can they can win and take down these big boys. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. You know, for the record, they're both five and one. They're kind of both big boys, but I think that's totally reasonable. Um, Dolphins offense is the best in the NFL, bar none. Their defense is pretty mediocre. Um, the Eagles' recipe would be that their defensive line is monstrous, and if they can really pressure Tua, yeah, um, that could grind this to a halt. That's what we saw in the Buffalo game where Miami stumbled. The only time that happened is when Buffalo was really able to pressure Tua and have him make some mistakes. Um, the Eagles do have a defense where that could happen, but I agree with you. I think they've been running the heck out of the ball. I think Mike McDaniel kind of learned his lesson and took some of that responsibility off to his shoulders and said, no, 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 this is going to be a team that relies on Mostert and uh, A-Chain when they play. Um, and then from the running game, we're opening up the passing game and we're hitting these speedy receivers. Uh, and I think they should be able to do that against the Eagles. I think the Eagles are going to score a lot of points. So I expect this one to be a shootout, but hey, man, why not? Why not take a team that scored 70 points plus two and a half? I like it. Yeah. I just One other thing I want to say is uh, the play action with, with the Dolphins is going to be huge, getting Mostert going and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck. It was right on the tip of my tongue. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the Eagles look mortal oh, the yeah. last couple of weeks. First, they just lost to three picks against the Jets. Yeah. And it's also worth noting we're talking about their strategy relies on pressuring and disrupting Tua and having him make mistakes. Well, they just failed to pressure and disrupt Zach Wilson. <laughs> the guy turned the ball over zero times for, I think, the first time this season. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Eagles defense and offense will have to play much, much better. Yeah, and they offense. went into OT the week before against the Commanders. Like, they just, the last couple weeks, yeah, they haven't looked as sloppy. good. It's been sloppy. Um, so, yeah, I like that pick. I think that's reasonable. I was eyeing it, but I will discard it. Um, and instead, for my third pick, um, I am going to take... Oh, don't make me do it. Don't make me do it. This is so gross. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm going to take your New York football giants. <laughs> plus two and a half against the Washington Commanders. Now, this hurts for a lot of reasons. That's a crazy one. I didn't... I, I wouldn't... Shocks me right now. <laughs> the Commanders have been our darlings this year. I think both of us have picked the Commanders two or three times. They may have covered every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel really good about the Commanders when they're underdogs. When they're favored, I'm not sure how I feel about them. Let's not forget how mortal this team is. And the Giants are coming off a game where without Dan- no, no, Daniel... No, no, Daniel Jones didn't play. And they almost beat... The, Bills. Uh, the Buffalo Bills. Saquon is back from injury, and he looked really good. Um, Tyrod Taylor at quarterback was mistake-free, other than, I guess, what happened at the end of the half, but wasn't making some of the bonehead plays we've seen Daniel Jones make. And their defense looked motivated. Um, this Giants team was supposed to be very, very good. They are not. <laughs> but I still think they might be better than this commander's team. Commanders have been eking out wins. Their offense really doesn't look unbelievable. I'm not sure how much of a Sam Howe believer I am outside of fantasy, where, where I love him very dearly. Um, You're QB1. <laughs> yeah, Brian Robinson Jr. has been pretty spotty in terms of the yards per carry. Um, McLaurin and their receivers haven't been as dynamic as we thought they might be. They're really a defensive line and an offense that seems to find big moments, but I just think this Giants team has not been playing up to their talent. 
And I'm not sure if it's better if Daniel Jones doesn't play and you get another steady Eddie game from Tyrod and let's say Quan Cook, or if it's better to have Daniel Jones come back and use his legs as a threat and all that jazz. But either way, I kind of like the line at plus two and a half. Yeah. You remember when Chase Young was in college and everybody was like, oh, this guy's going to be the next big defensive lineman. Yeah. And now he's on the commanders and nobody thinks about him. Yeah. That's funny. Didn't that exact same thing, that exact same thing happen to, uh, oh, what's his name? He's on the Texans now. Oh, Anderson. Will Anderson, right? No, 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 no. He's, he's been on, Jadavion Clowney. Oh. He might not be on the Texans anymore. But he's bounced around a lot. I remember he had the highlight at, against like, South, he was South, South Carolina against South Carolina Michigan against, or whatever. I thought, or like Mizzou, it might yeah. Been, where he had like the crazy tackle, fumble, recovery, touchdown. And people were like, this guy is going to be a monster in the NFL. I think Clowney, did he also go to the Commanders or did he go somewhere else? I think he was a Titans guy for a long time. Uh, okay. Anyway, that's, but, yeah. He reminds me of Chase Young. You're right. I do forget that Chase Young <laughs> exists. Um, sweet. When we get to round three with our value dogs, this is not often that this happens. I feel like we've been pretty consistently having two apiece. Um, that are shared. Yeah, yeah. So with my third pick, and this is not, unless it's the same one as you, you still have one more too, No, right? no, no, we shared, we shared. Oh, Here the first one mine. and then your second year. Okay, Correct, yeah. okay, gotcha. Well, with the last pick of the value dogs, I'm going to take another team at plus five and a half that uh, I really think can can eke out a win against a a, a, a a big foe. Let's take the Chargers plus five and a half against the Chiefs. Mm. Now, now, hear me out. You're like, what are we talking about? The Chiefs have the Taylor Swift magic. thing going. The yeah, they've got the magic. The but Justin Herbert sent Taylor Swift a DM this week. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody could pull Taylor from Kelsey, it would be Herbert. Um, no, in all, in all seriousness, I think the Chiefs' defense has been pretty good, but the Chiefs haven't played anybody that's been super amazing. Like the, the Broncos almost came back last week against them. Um, and the Chiefs, it doesn't feel like they can score more than 24 points in a game. So all the Chargers have to do is hit three touchdowns and a field goal, and I think they have this in the bag. Mm. Um, the other thing working in your favor, Chargers could win. They also, the Chiefs have been the king this year of the win but don't cover. That's true. They have been the king of that. I, I can almost picture in my mind Mahomes taking a knee <laughs> with Kelsey standing wide open. What do you mean almost? You, you're picturing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just to eke out time because he knows the game's already over. So I could see Chiefs being up three and a receipt or a, or a running back going down at the one because he knows it's the smart thing to do. So yeah, right right now I'm picturing Chargers down four, Justin Herbert leading them down the field, and then yeah. he throws a pick. Yes, and the Chiefs knee it and run out the clock. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, I see that too. So all that is to say, I I do like the Chargers. Justin Herbert, he's the analytics darling, and. I th- I really think like this is his chance to prove it. If they go, if they're what is that two and five after two this and week, four. two and four after this week, um, and they already had their buy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, two and four. Uh, if they can, if they get there, it's like, what are we doing? Justin Herbert's not this good. So this is his chance. Like if he's gonna prove it, this is his game. You know, I kind of, I'm kind of with you there. We talked about this before. I think Herbert is rapidly approaching severely overrated status. Yeah. Um, he just hasn't done anything. These Chargers haven't done anything for years. And every year, they're, it's like, oh, they have Justin Herbert. What? Who is Justin Herbert other than a guy that blew a 27-point lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs? An ex-Oregon quarterback? Why do we care about them? Yeah, we know a thing or two about Oregon quarterbacks. <laughs> Damaged goods is all I'm going to say. 
Um, Marcus Mariota. <laughs> God, it, the track record is yucky. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I I don't really believe in this Chargers team, but I think the Chiefs are just committed to winning every game this year by like two and a half points. That's that, that's my thought, dude. They they're not going to score more than twenty one points this week. So this is a good place to get the points. You know, while they're there, if this line was minus two and a half, I'd be much more nervous. But at plus five and a half, it's like, ah, oh, there's a good, there's that's like the Chiefs zone, you know? Yeah. Like even it's like Chargers win is like a 30% chance, and then like a 50% chance is like Chiefs by three. <laughs> and then there's like that 20% chance that the Chiefs blow them out. So uh, I think, I think that's a good pick for the last value dog. Um, and just to keep up my cold, cold streak of, Badly selected, uh, rancid dog. Yeah, hey, if you hear this bet, go against John. He's over two here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I might, I I don't think it's been going well for me picking these rancid dogs, but uh, it's another easy one for me. Whether or not that means I'm right, who's to say? Um, I think I know which one you're going for. But my rancid dog of the week is absolutely the Indianapolis Colts plus two and a half against the Cleveland Browns. Normally, I save these rancid dogs for. Uh, higher point differentials, but this one is truly just baffling to me. I don't understand it. Even when we had our Browns discussion last week, we recognized that the Browns have an elite defense. They're really good on that side of the ball anyway. With this Colts team, Anthony Richardson, is they put him on the IR. They're done for the year. They're in like, let's go get Marvin Harrison Jr. mode. Why would they want to beat this Browns team? How are they going to put up points against this Browns defense? How are the Browns minus two and a half in this game after beating the best team in football? I don't understand. Do you think the Browns are better than the Jaguars? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Colts lost by 11 to the Jaguars last week. <laughs> Correct. Correct. The Browns offense is bad, but this Colts defense isn't particularly special. They managed to score, move the ball fine against the best defense in football, and the, I guess the second best defense in football and the Niners. And their defense is going to grind this Colts offense to a standstill. This line, I like this line is so baffling. I'm honestly a little confused. Like it's rancid in multiple ways. Like it smells a little funny to me. Um, but it also just looks bad. You know? Yeah, I would just if I was going to bet, I would definitely bet on the favorite. I would probably advise just staying away from the bad juju around this Browns team. They really like stealing money from certain handsome and talented individuals. Um, well. That's it. There you have it. Colts plus two and a half. Take that line and run with it. Liquidate your assets, folks. Liquidate <laughs> your assets. For the last time, liquidate your assets. Um, okay. Let's, we are at an hour here. Let's have a very quick Let's bust through this. Seahawks discussion. There's not a ton to say. I'm going to let you lead the way. Uh, there's there's a decent amount to say, but we like, like you said, we're at an hour and – we know what the people want, and it was the UW discussion. They don't want to hear us be upset about the Seahawks. Yes. The Seahawks game, it kind of went as we were expecting. Exactly as we were expecting. 13-17, a little bit sloppy, a little bit aggressive. Um, what happened, what we worried might happen is exactly what happened. Mistake-ridden game for the Hawks. Geno Smith, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. His worst game of the year, other than arguably his horrific week one start. Um, we couldn't run the ball effectively. Kenneth Walker, 3.3 yards a carry. Uh, offensively, the receivers, DK wasn't special. Lockett was really solid. Jackson Smith and Jigba actually had a solid game. Most receiving yards as a pro. 
But yeah, and the defense did its job. It held the Bengals to 17, but the offense was not able to put points up. Yeah. So the Seahawks, you're saying it was not a great season or not a great uh, statistical game. Uh, we beat the, the Bengals in every category that matters in terms of offense. We had more first downs. We had more passing yards. We had more rushing yards. Mm. Um, Higher yards per play. You know, more yards per play. Uh, but we had two interceptions and two turnovers on downs in the last five minutes of the game. Wow. And we lose by four. Yeah, 24 first downs to 15. That is dominating by the Seahawks. They just failed to finish drives. Yeah, we'd get in the red zone and we wouldn't know what to do. DK can't run a sideways route to save his life. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's see, DK, that's what I'm worried about, Ro, Roma Dunze at the next level, man. I, I understand that. We can And we can talk more about that in the future. Yeah. But for DK, yeah, I'm worried about his ability to get to the side. He either needs to be running diagonally from the start or, he, or he's not going to do anything. Yeah. Uh, Lockett was really unable to get open. Gino missed that wide open Smith and Jigba uh, seam route that he crossed in front and then ended up on the, the yeah. left side of the field um, because he was scrambling. The Bengals were getting through our line and that kind of showed the, the line members that we were losing. Um, or that we've lost throughout the season, and it's kind of finally catching up to us. Uh, but yeah, Gino was on the move the entire game, and he could never really find his footing. He still had 326 yards, but that's what happens. You create interceptions, you create bad plays by being affected so much, or the Bengals create those kinds of plays by being so affecting of the uh, Seattle offensive line. Mm. And... Yeah, Joe Burrow wasn't amazing. Jamar Chase had six receptions for 80 yards. He didn't have any receptions with Witherspoon guarding him, which was like a great thing to see. Witherspoon's yeah, Witherspoon was really nice. proven out, proven to be... Four tackles as well. Proven to be somebody who can be like a defensive rookie of the year type guy. Yeah, he's been awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we, like our, everybody looked good except for the red zone offense, which is why we ended up with two field goals and two turnovers on downs. To in those red zone situations, yeah. So like, what are we? When yeah. you only give up seventeen points to the Bengals, you're doing something right. But yeah, so this was near. Remember, we were talking about first game of the season shut out in the second half. Mm-hmm. This game, we had three points in the second half. Yeah, we did. It was it was really rough. We scored a touchdown on the first drive of the game with seventy five yards on the first drive and scored a touchdown. We scored less points than that the remainder of the entire game. Yeah, third quarter pick on our first possession, then field goal, then pick, punt, downs, downs. That is just, oh, so gross. The Both turnovers on downs, we went 50 yards down the field and then failed to put any points on the board. <sighs> really, really frustrating. You almost want to put some of it on on the you know play calling. And the- I was going to say, I was going to ask you, of all, the, of all the people on the team right now in terms of the offense, red zone efficiency, uh, who are you blaming? Who's 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 to blame for this lack of offensive production in the red zone? Uh, I think it, the answer is twofold. I think I think the real answer is personnel, and I think it comes down to the offensive line. There, um, I think Walker's a talented running back. Charbonnet's a talented running back. In the red zone, when you can't take the top off the field, and those DBs have a little more uh, leniency and defenses are able to prime in on the run, this offense stalls. It just stalls out. It's because we aren't able to run the ball effectively in the red zone. It's because the quarterback can be pressured. He doesn't feel like he has time to go through his progressions and hit his receivers. So I think the main thing is, for the umpteenth year, this offensive line isn't great. Secondly, it's Geno. 
and he just doesn't really know what to look for in the red zone. He knows what to look for when the field's wide open, and he can take the top off with Metcalf. But when you can't take the top off, you have to look underneath, and you have to look for the crossers, and you have to look for guys sitting on stick routes and hitting guys on slants, and he just doesn't seem super comfortable doing that. And Jigba had his best game as a pro, 48 yards, but the man works in the slot, and there's a reason he hasn't been getting a ton of action this year. It's because Gino doesn't like to look in the slot. But guess where he score touchdowns in the red zone? This guy's working underneath. Um, so, yeah, I think it's the line in Gino, and then, I don't know, maybe some play calling. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say JSN had his best game of the year. And I think that we're, what we're hoping to see is this being like a turning point game where Gino's like, oh, this is like a thing that I can go to this and nice. I can trust this rookie. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking like, have we, have we seen Gino hit a fade route ever? No. <laughs> like hitting DK in the corner if he starts on the inside. I think one of those, one of the plays that I love is like a tight end bumps a lineman and then just like breaks to the left into the end zone, just like breaks to the left and he's wide open every time. Gino just needs to hit him right in the chest. Yeah. I love that play. Why do we not run that? We've got tight ends with hands. And you know what's so funny is we've talked about this, you know, with good intention in the past, but the way we use our tight ends, Parkinson, Fant, Disley, all these guys, we normally have them, you know, running seam routes and stuff down the field, which is what Gino likes. Guys running straight lines down the field. But yeah, you know, fans, what he did in college, the guy was great at running. He was great at stick routes. He was great at working to a spot and using his body and his size to clear out that spot and posting up. You know who would be amazing at that? DK against defensive backs. I would love to see DK running more. Yeah, fades is obviously what you classically think of with a wide receiver, but I want to see him run fades, like faux fades that aren't actually fades, but they're actually like sticks where he's going to the corner, but then he stops and posts like halfway into the end zone, get the DB behind him. And then you just hit him in the chest, and he's got strength and hands. Hit him in the chest or give it to him just a little bit high and just let him go straight up and grab it. Um, yeah, I wish we saw more stuff like that. I think I think that's kind of on Gino. I do think... I just think it's something that he doesn't have in his bag right now. We're seeing a more realistic Geno Smith this year. Um Teams are a little more prepared for it, and he's just – I don't think he's working through the progressions, and I don't know how much of that's on him and how much of it's on the offensive line and how much of it is on the play calling, but there's something wrong there because this red zone offense is one of the worst in the NFL. It's bad. It's yeah. pretty bad. Well, looking ahead, Cardinals versus Seahawks, this is a game to turn the offense around. <laughs> Cardinals have a lot of incentive to lose. Yes, um, I was looking at the stats. Gino and Josh Dobbs are pretty similar statistically. Gross. Uh, which is weird to think. It's kind of makes me feel bad. Uh, but I will say Gino's played one less game. So <laughs> there is there is that to be okay, to be happy with. Um, but yeah, I just think these two teams are pretty similar. Um, the only problem is the Arizona defense is much worse than, than the Bengals. Um, I don't expect them to get much penetration. And I expect Gino to have time and be able to look for these routes that we've been discussing. Um, Seahawks are minus seven and a half. Matchup predictor has them a uh, 79.6% chance to win. And I'll knock on wood right now. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm feeling pretty good about this game. Yeah, I do too. Bengals or Bengals. Cardinals have incentive to lose. Players might want to win, but management doesn't. Um, 
they've been looking much more mortal in recent weeks. Yeah, I'm not super worried about it. I don't want plus seven and a half just because I haven't loved what I've seen from the Seahawks offense. Yep. But uh, yeah, it's a game they should win. It's a game they have to win if they want to stay in the wild card hunt so yeah let's see what this team's made of this week i was gonna say if they don't win this game they go three and three through a pretty easy six yeah this is like like we said a couple weeks ago i thought they could beat the bengals and i think they still could have but they need to be able to win this game against the cardinals and continue to get hot because they've got the ravens coming up and just like a stretch that five game stretch where they play rams niners cowboys niners eagles that's going to be could be five losses. Like, we need yeah. to win now. Niners, Cowboys, Niners, Eagles should be four losses. So we're looking at an 0-4 stretch in our future. we got to make up those games elsewhere. So, And we still play the Browns and the Ravens. Oof. Yeah, I'm not sure how it's looking for the Hawks. But first step. This is, yeah, turn it around this week. Beat the Cardinals. And beat them by a lot if you can. <laughs> that, would be, that would be great. We would appreciate that. Make sure the fans know that you guys mean business. Um. Other than that, John, that was a quick discussion on the Seahawks. Anything else before we get out of here? It is currently 11.20 p.m. at, at night on Wednesday, and I still have to edit this podcast. So. It's my bedtime. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, for John Kerry, I'm Tyler Cartwright, and this has been Sound Up Seattle. If you enjoyed this episode of the pod, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, you can find Sound Up Seattle at um, on email at soundupseattle at gmail.com. You can find me, Tyler, at tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John. He's still playing Elden Ring. It's been a week. He's still doing that. He hasn't left the house. Get off my back. I will be the Elden Lord. <laughs> um, and with that, hey, the dogs are going to keep rolling. The Seahawks are going to stay rolling. But squids need to get going. Let's go squids. Let's go squids. But remember, ducks, all you ducks remember out there, These dogs bite.